Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host. and I am once again honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show takes you into the field, to the places where you have those aha moments and mastermind meetings that move you closer to serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. So you may hear some things in the background, maybe a bird chirping, maybe a car driving by, sometimes even a little bit of ambient noise from the table next to us as we do this from a cafe. I do not have a $25,000 Hollywood quality soundproof studio, nor will I ever. We have too much fun for that. We've had guests call in from the rainforest in Columbia during a downpour. You could hear the raindrops beating on the tent. We interviewed somebody while he was in an airport hangar in Tel Aviv, and you, you could hear the IDF jets whooshing above. So these are the th- types of things that will sometimes be around you when you're having those moments that can change your life. And we have mastermind conversations here where following the principles of Napoleon Hill, the sum total of what we provide here is greater than the individual total of what me and my guests could each do on our own. And speaking of today's guest, this is somebody that we have been looking forward to speaking with for about a month and a half now. I'm so glad that our schedules have finally aligned so we can make this happen. His name is Douglas Muir, and I'm going to tell you just a little bit about him. He is the president and co-founder of the family business fund known as FBF. It was founded in 2019 in New York City. It's an SEC-regulated D506C high-yield fixed income fund whose underlying asset provides critical capital to America's small businesses using innovative financing solutions. So he's going to tell you more about this, but I just want to introduce the idea that this is an episode where if you are seeking funding for your business, if you want to understand your credit, if you want to understand how to get those revenues flowing, how to get those investments coming in so that you have the power to get that money and get up and get moving, this will give you some insights on that. So with that, Douglas Muir, come on in. The weather's fine. Hey, Adam, it's great to be here. Heck yeah. So I read off a portion of your official bio. It's so impressive. I'm not sure I'm worthy to be here. And this is my episode. So, uh, or my show rather. So what do we like to do here before we dive in? And you gave us a number of great talking points that we're going to cover over the course of our conversation related to this topic. I can't wait to go through these. I think there's six of them. And um, what we're going to do is, first of all, have you tell us a bit in your own words, something about your story or your journey and how it's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. You know, Adam, I've had a I've had a great life. I'm 61 years old, and and I could break it up into three sections. 
Uh, believe it or not, my first section is I'm an aerospace engineer by education and an airline pilot. Uh, I flew I flew commercially um, for U.S. Airways for 20 years. And um, what really started me off on this business journey was probably negotiating the 1994 contract uh, for the Airline Pilots Association. Uh, and I learned all kinds of great negotiation skills. They sent me through class and, and, and we were doing business. And I just fell in love with business. I really wasn't into the to the uh, to the flying, I, I found it very uh, mundane and boring, believe it or not. But the next section is that I, I started a very small company uh, while in uh, flying airplanes, and it got really big, and I sold it, and I and I, I made some money, and I'm looking at this check, and I'm like, my God, these entrepreneur whatevers. I mean, I couldn't even spell entrepreneur. So yeah. these entrepreneur whatevers make a lot of money, and I just fell in love with it, and I kept parlaying that money um, into bigger and bigger and bigger companies. Uh, from there, my second uh, stage of life was was uh, being a uh, a professor at the University of Virginia, and I went back to school and I got my MBA and I started teaching entrepreneurship, uh, but through the lens of a practitioner who had started, developed, and sold ten companies, uh, one to a very large bank uh, in New York City, which which kind of set me on my trajectory. And and my third part of life right now is as a full time finance hedge fund. Uh, called the Family Business Fund. Uh, that's where I ended up. I ended up on Wall Street in uh, 2017. I was on the New York Stock Exchange for a while. I learned so much and I said, I could do this better. It was the aha moment that you're talking about and that I teach my students standing on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. And I said, I could do this better. And I quit my job and uh, I just uh, started the Family Business Fund. And we we have been flourishing now for over three years. Wow, that is Fantastic. So here's one of the reasons why this type of episode is so attractive to our listeners. A lot of us have struggled with getting funding from traditional banks. The story I love to tell, and this is one of those things that is, it's like too, it's like so unreal, you know, it actually happened. Uh, Go back about eight years. I just paid off a a debt consolidation loan for my business. Perfect payments every time. In fact, I was about three months early. So I'm thinking between 2009 and 2014, that's when the Great Recession happened. Yeah, I uh, plunked a bit back onto business credit cards. I tapped into the business line of credit a great deal. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, that uh, that first business consolidation loan, which basically they approached me and begged me to sign for, that was fun. Let's do another one. Well, in those five years, a lot of things changed. So let me just uh, tell you, one piece of the experience that happened to me and why I think it happened. It got to the point where in their gymnastics of trying to obfuscate the entire conversation, I found out that they were counting my personal student loan against my business in two different ways. And when I pointed this out, they acted like they acted like I didn't know what I was talking about until I explained to them that yeah, it's in two different places here. Why? Why are you trying to? Why are you trying to make me look like more of a risk? And uh, and this uh, person I was dealing with said, you know, our underwriters are wondering why do you have a student loan? And I'm thinking, the time I was 37 years old, out of college for 15 years, who in that demographic doesn't have a freaking student loan? So I said, look. Uh, yeah, you know, I do have a student loan because 15 years ago, actually going on 20 years ago, I went to college and tuition, room and board and books, they're expensive. So I took out a student loan 
and use the money as seed capital to launch a meth lab so that I could use the profit from drug sales to pay for my college education. Because I was trying to reduce this to how ridiculous they were acting. And um, what I got from the next is, are you going to take this seriously? Do you understand that you're one word from going to jail? I'm thinking, whatever. And I kind of lost interest in the whole thing after that. Here's what I think happened. They were getting rated on how many applications got filled out. Then they were also under an imperative to deny as many as possible because the metric they were getting, because they were getting rewarded on two metrics, getting people to fill out applications to fulfill some quota requirements and not actually lending out money. So they didn't lend out money. So in your experience, uh, speaking with some of your customers, I know that story is one of those things that's just so far out there. It's got to be factual because it's just so weird. Uh, have you seen other clients of yours struggle with getting traditional financing? What are some of the things they run into? Adam, if it wasn't for stories like yours, I wouldn't have a business. Yeah. We have a $1.4 trillion a year private lending business. $1.4 trillion. And that's because the banks are so messed up. They do everything. They only lend to people who don't need the money. Yeah. They are the absolute worst. And thank God they are, or else I wouldn't be in business. Uh -huh. Let me give you an example. So everyone says, well, your, your, line, your, your money is very expensive. You're absolutely right. It is expensive. But tell that to the 18-wheel truck driver who just got a contract from the Zach Brown band, and he just needs to rent a $50,000 truck. That's it. Just for four months, he needs $50,000 now. Goes to the bank. They laugh at him. He comes to me. I sell him the money for $50,000. I do it in under 24 hours. Yes, he pays back $74,000. That is expensive, but he's yeah. making $180,000 on that money. Do you think he even cares? There's no way he would have got A, the contract, and B, the funding, if it wasn't for the private industry. There's two types of industry. There's the public industry of lending, which is the banks, which I absolutely have no respect for. And then there's the private industry that we are putting it together, and we are cash flowing small businesses into prosperity. The money is a little expensive, but the risk for us is much higher. Once again, the banks will never lend to any type of risk. They're not in the business for risk. Private entrepreneurs are. So that's why we're able to do it in under 24 hours. Okay, so here's one thing I want to point out. And you raised a very important point. We covered this in a different context in one of our other recent episodes. It's the idea that when you borrow money or you receive investment infusions, you have a payoff plan. And here's the analogy I like to give. Uh, a lot of us go to seminars and conferences, or we have the opportunity to buy information products. So I'm going to use a classic example. Pretty much anything Ryan Dice sells is going to be $2,000. Uh, product launch formula, $2,000, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all the big ones. And you have an option. You can pay the $2,000 in one, in one chunk, or you can do, it's usually a six payment plan, and the way it works out, because I remember I did one of these uh, like three years ago, is actually I did two at the same time three years ago. I was putting out a lot of money all at once, is um, I took 
payment plans on both of them because I didn't want to be out four grand in a week. Uh, and it came out to I ultimately ended up paying them something like twenty four twenty five hundred dollars each because the premiums on those installment payments are pretty steep. So what I suggest folks do, and this is a combination of of wealthy thinking and intelligent thinking, is have a business credit card that you keep paid off and you use it for continuing education investments. And you don't just go to conferences and buy every single thing that everybody sells on the stage. You buy strategically things that will tangibly move your business forward in specific ways. So I'm going to use product launch formula as an example. It's one of the most famous courses out there. So I I, I own it, but I let's say I go to I, I didn't, and I went to Jeff Walker, and I wanted to buy Product Launch Formula when he opened the doors in 1997. So I don't want to be out $2,000 in my cash flow right now. I want that payment plan. So here's what I do. I use that empty business credit card, go to his website, punch it in, 1997, cha-ching, one payment. Walker has 100% of his money. I have a 1997 balance on my credit card. What I do then is I log into the online portal for that credit card. I pay. I take 1997 and divide it by six. I pay one-sixth of that immediately to establish the fact that I have made a payment today. Then I set up five recurring payments for that same amount, month one, month two, month three, month four, month five. And then since the recurring payment thing will still be turned on, there'll be a sixth payment at the end that picks up like a little bit of interest that's accrued. Now, yes, I'm going to pay a little bit of money to stretch that out, but it's not going to be $500. It might be 100 bucks. That's one. Number two, if that card has cashback pl- programs and that purchase qualifies, and many of them actually do, you can actually get maybe $75 just for buying that product. So now what I've essentially done is I've exuded wealth mentality by paying up front instead of doing installment payments. I've protected my ability to have installment payments and kept my fa- cash flow loose. And I have saved myself about four hundred dollars. That that is that is fantastic way the, of thinking. Yep. And the a point, lot, the a point lot being, of... the, yeah, the point being, and I'll and you're gonna you're about to go loose. I just wanted to. I forgot to mention this. The point being is, you take that out with a with a repayment plan already in place. I was yeah. excited to buy product launch formula. I was ready to do six payments. Right. So the only the only thing that shifted in that whole equation is who those payments went to. Absolutely. Do you think it's worth it? Do you think that product you bought is worth it? That's the question one. And if so, then the way you did it is absolutely right. Because what people don't understand and what small businesses don't understand is that their accounts receivables are worth money. Do you think the Zach Brown brand is going to go out of business? I don't think so. So no. when I bought when I bought this guy's accounts receivable from the Zach Brown band, I knew I was pretty protected. So many people don't know that their accounts receivables are literally worth money. Now, will they take a haircut on that? Yes, of course they will. But that's a risk and reward. And what can they do with that money, the cash now, today, yeah. today, right? That they couldn't do, you know, five months from now with a bank if they could even get it. Yeah, so what I want to be clear about for our listeners is for those who are looking for private lenders who are not going to charge very significant fees and interest, keep looking till your hair falls out. You're unlikely to find it. I've been down this road 
10 times already. Um, what Douglas says about borrowing $50,000 and you're going to pay back 74, 76,000. If you, if you payment pay it on terms, uh, that is the way of the world. It's the same as student loans. Now, just one question for you is, let's say that truck driver, he, you know, he gets his 50, he pays you, you know, he gets the $50,000 from you. He agrees he's going to pay back 75,000. Let's just, let's just use basic numbers. And he goes and he gets paid that $150,000 contract and they drop and they drop the whole $150,000 on him up front. And he comes to you tomorrow and says, Doug, thank you so much for this money. I'm going to pay you back right now. Does he still owe the entire additional $25,000 or can he get prorating because he paid it off early? He has prorating and a 30% discount. Okay. Oh, and a discount too. Yes, for paying off early. Okay. So it's actually not, so if you need the money and that's the best way you can get it, and the reality is you're just going to have to do the payment plan, so be it. You're going to pay, you're going to pay uh, $25,000 to get $50,000. That's just the way of the world. However, once, assuming you have a revenue generation and repayment plan in place, you can clear it out early and save yourself some money at the same time. I just want that to be clear for our listeners. So we had a gentleman who just uh, got a, um, a contract with Costco. Now, I don't think Costco is going out of business. He has no. an accounts receivable of about you know a half a million dollars. And he needs 250000 of that to build his product to put it into Costco. The banks weren't going to touch him. He comes to us 24 hours later, he's got $250,000. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Now he goes to Costco and that's just getting in. That's not including he's going to get continued contracts from Costco because he developed this great product for Costco. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that and that's sometimes the way it is. So you look at what are you spending the money for? I mean, uh, I mean, I would not recommend your product for debt consolidation. I mean, uh, at that point, at that point, at that point, you're better off just finding a way to raise your revenues and increase the amount you pay on your credit cards. That's just yes. that's also the way of the world. But however, if you can combine doing that with something that's going to generate significant cash flow, then yes. the entire additional cash flow, like using the truck driver as an example, if he had thirty thousand dollars in business debt and he took out another fifty from you and he earned one hundred and fifty thousand off that deal, by the time all said and done, I'm no good at math, but he's cleared he's cleared probably about forty grand. And if some people keep up on it, they can get those zero yeah. percent credit cards, right? They get the zero oh, yeah. percent, and and before uh, the other one goes up to twenty seven percent, they could uh, they could just transfer it on over to their zero percent credit card, and they can live on that kind of stuff. Uh, I did that with my first business. Yep, yep. I'm uh, I'm in the process of doing that right now, and sometimes I find that um, cards that are called business credit cards uh, yes. give you a hard time about that. Uh, yes. And, uh, and and what a lot of entrepreneurs do, and this is, you know, this is recommended for getting started, is as soon as you're getting started with your business, you know, you just got your, you just got your EIN number, your business hasn't done anything, it has no credit rating, uh, you're probably already in hock just to get it started personally. So you, you, so you take one of your existing credit cards that you had personally, just find a way to pay it off, give them the money, transfer it, whatever, start with zero and say, this is the one I'm going to call a business credit card. So, yes. and, that, and that keeps it clean for your accounting. That's all well and good, yes. but that's still benefiting or harming, as the case may be, your personal credit and no not doubt. touching your business credit. But ultimately, you want to get that into your business. But, yeah. then but then the only way to get rid of that business debt is to have another personal credit card if you want to do the yeah. balance transfer game. 
Yeah. You know, Adam, I, I got spanked on that too, on my credit. It uh, It's American Express. And so uh, thank God on this last, you know, company by now, I, I have plenty of money, but uh, we were using it as travel expenses and we were getting up to probably about $60,000, $70,000. Uh, when I went to buy this house I have right now in uh, Boca Raton, uh, my my credit went down to about a six seventy, and I got perfect yeah. credit because of the sixty thousand dollars that you see. So you're right; people have to be have to be worried about that. If you have a business credit card, which now I have a black card, of course, a Black American Express, it does not show up on your on your personal account. You know, I found I found that out when I uh, began a concerted effort to reduce my business's debt a year ago. That I had all these cards that had the word business on them, but guess yeah. what? <laughs> right. Uh-huh. They report on your personal. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. So uh so I prioritize paying those off first to increase my That's available right. personal utilization. Uh and then I and then I had some that were able to verify were true business cards. Those are the last to get paid off because it doesn't affect the business credit in the same way. Now we're gonna cover credit in a little bit, but before we do that, I wanna I think we have an interesting segue here. And what you want us to ask you is does education help entrepreneurs succeed? And if so, how? I live by education. A, I'm a professor. So uh, I remember when I was an airline captain, I was probably the least educated at that time because everybody did everything for me. When I was a flight instructor and I was teaching people how to fly, I knew I was probably the most educated part. Uh, and and I was my 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 tools were definitely honed by then, right? So it's very important when I'm teaching uh, at the university and I'm teaching entrepreneurs. I wrote a, an entrepreneur textbook. Uh, when I'm teaching at the university, I'm I'm really, really, really good because you're looking at stuff that you normally wouldn't look at. I read three articles a day. I live on Bloomberg and I live on Yahoo Finance. And so all day, that's all I'm doing is reading and watching the Bloomberg because I got to make sure that my portfolio is protected and I know what's coming down the line. Right. Right. So let's get back to credit now. Uh, what do people need to know about getting true business cards? Because uh, that is uh, something that there seems to me at least to be a lot of information about. But how do we break that down for our listeners? Because if they're still using credit cards and they're doing it for their business, it's about time to get past that. I use the personal credit card to get started. Now let's use a business credit card and build some business credit. How do we get that going? So the first thing they're going to need to do is go to their bank or go to the credit card in, in institution and say they want a business card. Now, I remember when I got my first business card it was 1992 and they gave me a $250 limit. Okay. So what I did is I made sure I, I maxed that out, uh, maxed it out and then I paid it. And then oh, I that, it oh, that, and paid it. That, that's a piece of cake. Find some recurring charges that add up all 250 Absolutely. and set up on automatic Gas. payments and you're just yes. spinning it. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah, like yeah, like yeah. I, like I, like I do things that find things that are the same amount every month, like yeah. web ho- like web hosting, domains, uh, the email marketing system. Find something that adds up to something close to two fifty. Use that as a card set up to automatically pay off. And not only that, but it also makes your books cleaner because it's less stuff on your business checking, and it makes your QuickBooks easier. Oh, there's abs- there's no doubt about it, and that's why it, it, all my salespeople and I we all have this. The Black American Express, because of, I mean, we're a big fund now, but um, it, it, and, uh, you could download that into your QuickBooks and it automatically um, uh, separates out the cost. You're right. It's absolutely fantastic. But from 250, they gave me uh, 5,000. From 5,000, they gave me 20,000. From 20,000, they gave me 100,000. And that's how I build up my business credit. And right. I left I left alone my credit, my credit 
personal credit. So I wasn't maxing out credit cards. So you got to be very careful on that for your credit. Once you get above 40% on your personal credit card, you get hit 10% or 10 points on your credit report. Yeah, I'm I'm so aware of that. Believe me, I believe me, I am. Uh, you want to keep them from getting maxed out, even if you've got to play a little bit of a of a shell game. But yeah, I just yeah. I want to emphasize again what you said is you got your first true business card, and it was a sm- yes. very small amount. But hey, that's that's the starting line you were taken to, and that's where they fired that's where they fired the pistol from. So that's where you start. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Uh, so let's get more into credit because this is something that I got educated on in a very interesting way about a year ago is a lot of American consumers simply don't understand their credit report. And I've already alluded to, I got a few surprises when I looked into it in depth. Now, the the credit is the best kept secret. Uh, I used to own the third largest credit repair company in the United States. Um, Senator Levin and I from Michigan um, worked on a bill uh, to uh, protect the consumers. And the bill was this. I don't know if people understood this or knew it, and probably not. If you had three business cards, you had a JP Morgan, you had a, a Bank of America, and you had an American Express. And let's say you went late on your Bank of America card. JP Morgan and American Express could raise your rates. Oh, you want to know what happened to me since you mentioned it? Um, I had I had one of my personal cards, uh, which was uh, my Priceline Rewards card. Uh, this is something you have to pay attention to when you have your cards on automatic payments. Make sure the recurring payment is still there because it has a weird way of getting disconnected at random. And when you have something on automatic payments, you don't think about the payments. And then, ne- then the next thing you know, you're two months behind. And it's, it's funny how, oops. But candidly, I think they do it on purpose. So as a result of that happening, next thing I find out, and I found this out when I went to make a purchase, is that my American Express business card just arbitrarily dropped my available credit with them from $20,000 yeah. to $3,500, just arbitrarily based on that. And they, yeah, and, they, and, 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 and they even said to me, you can appeal it, but we're not going to change it. Yeah, Because, yeah, because yeah. something that was a true personal card had had a technical error that you know, the Barclays, which owns Priceline, acknowledged and gave me my late fees back. I mean, right. they even acknowledged it and gave me my late fees back. American Express business didn't care. You know, my son got caught with that, and he uh, uh, he went to go buy his first home, and he found out he had 25 lates on his credit report. And he called me up and goes, what's this? I said, oh, my God, it's your student loans. What happened? You were getting auto deduct. He goes, oh, well, I changed bank accounts. I thought they would find out. I'm like, oh, are you don't. kidding me? No, that's not what they find out. What, <laughs> what no, what, oh, what merchant, what merchants seem to have this magic ability to do is when the credit card or the debit card you've been using um, gets reissued, like they get issued every three years, somehow they magically know the new expiration date and you don't have to log in and do anything. Uh, I mean, my uh, my business's primary uh, debit card got reissued just you know, because of the three years a couple months ago, and I only had to log in two places to change it. Now, here's the zinger. Uh, one place that I didn't think of was the dental insurance, which my business pays for. And I had to go through the exchange uh, to file an appeal and then go back to the dental provider. And what I said to them is, you know, 
I thought I was an ACH the whole time. Can we just get this on ACH? I'm unlikely to change my bank account. And they were delighted because they love ACH. So that's so I bring that up because it's also worth it to ask people you're make, really making payments to, would you like to do ACH? I mean, 24 hours to get your money, and this is the whole thing. Your, your people need to understand that 70% of all credit reports are inaccurate. It's a $1 yeah. trillion dollar a year scam. And the main reason why it's a scam is because what happens to your interest rate if one of the three credit bureaus has an inaccuracy? It goes up. You think the banks really care? They love they that. Although that you're an A-type person, right, and you have A credit, if there's a mistake on your credit, it gives them a chance to raise your interest rates. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And when I was going for that consolidation loan eight years ago, the point I kept making, which would be common sense, is, look, guys, um, basically what I'm looking to do here is have you buy all my debt, save a little bit in interest, but instead of these other companies getting it, you're going to make all the money. But they didn't care. They were just more concerned about trying to throw me in jail because I made a joke. How did you like how did you like the debt consolidation? I've been hearing mixed bags about that. Well, what back in 2009 when they were when I had uh, banking representatives showing up at my home office unannounced with pre-filled out paperwork, all I had to do is give them a number and they phoned it in and I signed. They loved them. Uh yeah. five years later, they didn't want to give any out. Yeah, and and did you get uh did you get taxed on the amount that you didn't have to pay as income? Nah. I don't know exactly. This is why I have a really great CPA. Yeah. I may be off by a point here, but I believe I did get deductions uh, based on uh, the ability to deduct uh, interest paid and yeah. uh, and something having to do with amortization. I'm not an accountant myself, but that's so my folks, general you gotta, understanding. You got to be, be careful because a lot of these debt consolidations will call you up and say, just don't pay them. That's illegal. It is. The third party is not allowing you to say, don't pay your debt. So, I mean, I have an in-house attorney in my fund and, and we sue debt consolidation companies all day. But so you have to be careful about that. There's great ones, the ones like Adam used. And then there's ones that are just really, really, really poor. If someone ever tells you do not pay something, run away. I, I try and say the same thing. There's no such thing. And my accountant has emphasized this to me for the 19 years I've been working with him. He says, there's no such thing as not paying your debts. There correct. is there is such a thing as determining how profitable your business will be and tax planning and cash flow planning. There are such things as those, but there's no such thing as not paying your debt. You know, I tell my students this all the time, the people who know their business and know the numbers inside their businesses, and I don't mean just having the CPA do their taxes, I mean know their businesses like the back of their hand and the numbers, those are the winners because yeah. the numbers never lie. And that's the most important part about a business. At least I believe that. Of course, the, the, the product and services is important, but you have to know because people will rip you off all the time. Oh my good! Oh my goodness! Yeah, and uh, and even if you don't like how your business is right now, you have to log into your checking account and see what's there. Absolutely. Uh, if if you don't like the numbers, if it feels like you're on the edge of overdraft every third day, use that as fuel to go launch something. Yeah. yeah see, see, absolutely. see. When I so so last year when I got really serious about this. Uh, I spoke with my business coach about it, and he said, well, what you want to do is just focus on revenue generation and uh, put those credit cards on minimum payments. And I said, I've been doing that for seven years, and I'm getting eaten alive, so I don't even have capital to invest. Right. And so what I did is I ended up finding a private lender that uh, took a bite out of 
things. It got it got my numbers just to the point where I became a, vi- a viable uh, credit option again. And uh, that started to open up some money. I got some other infusions. And now I'm really off to the races. Sometimes, just like your example of the get a business card, a true business card, not linked to your social security number, even if they only give you 250 use that 250 every month, get your record up and yep. and show them that you're worth 10,000 and they'll, and they'll yeah. eventually raise you. And go for and yeah. I would, and I think you would say also go for other business cards because if you get two fifty here, three fifty there, a thousand here, eventually you're talking real money. But just make sure you know if your income and your expenses can pay off the minimum payments. You always got to be careful on that because so many people, especially new entrepreneurs, who think, "Well, I'll be able to do this in six months," and six months comes and they haven't done. It. <laughs> you know, take the yeah. revenue you think you're gonna. You're going to make divide that by three, and that's the actual revenue you'll make. Oh, oh, yeah, and that's and that's why I'm, and that's actually why I made the point a little bit earlier that if you get in that situation where you have two fifty and you want to just max it out and pay it off every month, find things on your business checking accounts that are recurring payments you're already making that you're already doing with no problem that is covered by your existing cash flow payments that will be there no matter what, because they're essential to your business and just simply change the payee. Absolutely. And, and, and what's also nice about that is it makes, it makes micro cash flow planning easier because now there are less lines on your business checking accounts. And you also know that instead of having to keep track of, well, well, my host bills me $109 here. Active campaign bills me $75 here. I'm doing about $30 in domain renewals and all that. You're not having to see all these lines in there making you dizzy. You just know on the 12th, this card takes 250. Yeah. So, so whatever I need to do to bill somebody, get a client in, whatever, make sure it's there by the 11th. That's it. And you also have a five-day float. Most people give you a five-day float, but they don't yeah. ever use it. Ever. No, no, pay on time. Yeah, pay on time. Yeah. So, um, so what what else do we need to know, if anything, about how personal credit affects the business? Because as we discussed earlier, that is a bite that people get taken out of them when they least expect it. Well, you know, and that's when they find out there's a mistake. So uh, we 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 pull we pull personal credit, and uh, every bank will pull personal credit. And so, you know, it's like you damned if you do, you damned if you don't. Right. So if you get your personal credit and you have bad personal credit, you can't get a bank loan. If you don't have enough money, you can't get a bank loan. I mean, um, so if you have over a a 730 beacon score or even over a 700, um, that's where that's the sweet spot. And that's where well, banks will really look at you. What's a beacon score? Uh, um, it's like a FICO score. It's oh, okay. uh, it's your score. It's your score that the three credit bureaus give you. Oh, oh, okay. So each one of those is called a Beacon score. I thought. Yeah. I just, I just wanted to clarify for our listeners that that wasn't yes. like a separate rating for your business. So, but that well, actually people don't. Like, yeah, people don't know this. The three credit bureaus do not own the number. The three credit bureaus just give the data and the information. There's FICO, the FICO company, FICO. And Beacon, they own they own the actual algorithm that produces the number, and that's why that's why the three credit bureaus tried to uh, start their own number called Vantage, and Vantage didn't work um, because no banks would take it. Everyone uses FICO and Beacon, and that's it. And so uh, the three credit bureaus have to pay for that number. 
And that number is everything to a bank. And, and I, I mean, although we pull it a lot, um, we really look at we look at background. Like we had a we had a guy uh, we were about ready to buy, uh, buy his receivables, and we found out that he had uh, three felonies, and they were financial felonies. Oh, and we pulled we pulled our deal. So we look at the person and the business more than the 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 FICO score. Okay, yeah, but the FICO score isn't totally ignored either because no, it's not. that's throwing up a bunch of red flags. So I'll tell you candidly. Um, my FICO score, you know, my, my beacon scores are actually pretty good. Uh, they could be better. Uh, I mean, in terms of on-time payments and all the other stuff, I mean, we're green all the way across the board, unless I'm about to log in later today and find some surprise, like some automatic payment got disconnected. But as of a week ago, everything looked good in QuickBooks. Um, but, uh, but the only thing that I have, and this is something that I've actually reduced, but it's still there to a degree. And I think, and I'm bringing this up because a lot of entrepreneurs face this percentage of revolving credit utilized is still kind of a big deal for me. Yes. And that, and, that, and, 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 that, and, that, and, the, and the, although that's one of the big drivers of beacon scores, that's also one of the most difficult ones to solve. The yeah, you're absolutely right. And yeah, and, so yeah, so, so yeah, so my personal credit would tell you that I am. I am 1,000 trillion percent safe as, uh, as a risk that you would take. You will get your money. There's not even a question of that. I can back that up, I can back that up with, with, uh, with business bank statements, uh, personal bank statements, tax returns, uh, examples of money paid to be by my corporation as personal income. I can go down all that route. And you can also tell that I recently uh, rented a new apartment. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah. that's how I that's how I have, have all the stuff off the top of my head. And, that's great. But uh, but yeah, but yeah, uh, that is something you are going you are going to have to look at that just to say, okay, yeah, maybe he's not the exact perfect person we're looking for on the beacons, but we are we have high confidence. Then we're not going to have any problems with collections. We are going to get all of our money back. So if we loan this guy fifty grand, uh, between that and what his business revenues show, uh, by looking at his business statements, his tax returns, and everything else, he's going to have seventy-five grand for us in the time allotted. Yeah, that's great. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying, and I want to verify that that's basically your thought process. And tell me if there's anything else you'd add. No, there's that's absolutely correct. I mean, when when we. The first thing I look at is how am I going to collect from this client, right? I got to yeah. make sure that his accounts receivables are, are are good, right? That's the first thing. Or, and I got to make sure that they're well, right? So there's a couple of times we've gotten scammed, right? They look like, they look at it, they look like at a, at a perfect client. We, we advance them the cash and, you know, they won't even make one payment. They'll just run away and, and uh, they'll change bank accounts. And so we have ways of finding people and getting stuff, but still, it's just, it's such a shame. But um, you know the, the 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 credit reporting agencies are pretty good on on uh, knowing whether you're going to pay or not, and, right? Um, and we look at that. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So I again, I just really want to, people to really really understand this. So uh, in terms of uh, you know in terms of really growing. The business. I've, you know, we've talked about a few examples of the ox versus the horse cart. I need money to get going, uh, and to get going, I need money. Uh, what are some of the obstacles, whether it's that or whether it's something else that you run into, and how is overcoming them so key for an entrepreneur to be successful in what they're doing? There's three stages in your life, right? So in the beginning, when I was thirty something. 
um, I had to use the three Fs, family, friends, and fools, right? So I would borrow money from family, friends, or fools to start my, to start my first. Yes. Um, uh, that that's the first thing. The second thing uh, I would tell, I would advise your people if they have a full time job by using that full time job cash flow to start your idea or to pitch your idea or to get your idea going. As that idea grows and you start getting cash flow, then you could transfer over to that full time. Right. That's the yeah. second way. And then the third way is coming to people like me. Right. Uh, um, I'm a, I'm an angel investor. Um, venture capitalists you can get money from but you better be prepared and know your marketing your advertising make sure you know your your uh, projections and and you have to know you have to know your stuff uh that's those are the three ways of of getting money and probably the easiest way is family friends and fools except you know when you're sitting at the thanksgiving table and you just defaulted on your sister that's not a good thing no you no know? that is um that is not uh, that is not something you want to see happen. So, uh, yeah, and, and, yeah, and you're right. You mentioned uh, fr- you know friends, fools, and family, or something like that. Yeah, but some but somebody's got to b- believe in you in the very beginning. Yes, and yeah, uh, and, 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 and investors. Yeah, and, investors. yeah, and you know they're you know in some other episodes of this show we've spoken about some other things. If you take out certain types of life insurance, you can borrow against that life insurance for business capital. That's one. Another is another is. Um, Look, uh, if your parents are still around, uh, they may want to avoid, and I'm just going to come out and say it, they may want to avoid the death tax by gradually transferring money to you um, while they're alive and kicking and you have a use for it. So that use could be your business and up to a certain amount, it's non-taxable. And then you can also, uh, you know, people have an IRA, uh, they're allowed to take money out of that IRA through a third party fiduciary and invest in companies. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, look around, yeah. So, look around, you already have like the, like I haven't actually done this yet, but the life insurance thing was very revelational. And if, uh, you know, you're in a good place to get life insurance and it's the type where you can borrow against it, uh, I mean, that's, I mean, essentially, you're going to borrow money out of it and you're going to pay it back with interest. That, that's, that's like, that, that's literally getting a loan. Yeah. And, and a lot of people right nowadays are selling their life insurance, right? So let's say you have a million dollar life insurance and someone's offering you $300,000 cash today, right? And you, uh, a lot of people are, are doing that. And what this person will do is uh, they'll uh, pay your premiums. And then upon expiration, they collect the, uh, they collect the money, but you have $300,000 in today's dollars to do whatever you desire to do. So to the end of life. Really? So buying people, People sell their life insurance policy. Now, does that mean uh, does that mean you also get the benefits if you die? Yes. So what happens is, and I and I've invested uh, into this alternative type of um, investment, and uh, I actually liked it so much that we uh, created a fund ourselves to where um, uh, half of the half of the fund is my uh, family business fund investments and the other half is life insurance policies is uh, six of them and it's a yeah. 700 at seven million five hundred thousand dollar fund and um so my my uh, so they go out and, and this guy has figured out a way plus or minus two years of figuring out when someone's going to die and okay. he goes out and he buys uh he buys uh, a bunch of life insurance policies he scrubs them and the ones he takes he he opens up a fund and people invest in it and um, the return is like crazy it's like 33 percent Wow, that is 
that is really something. So I'm glad I'm glad I mentioned this topic. And again, this is the um, this is the value of the Mastermind Conversations, the Business Creators Radio Show. Is uh, this is a little bit of a different conversation than I originally thought. We're now going actually beyond. Um, the original points in the green room, and this is great. So subscribe to Business Creators Radio Show. You're going to get lots of uh, episodes on various topics related to the environment of business. And this is turning out to be a really good one in terms of points for raising capital. Now, there are some things that I know if you seek a traditional loan from a bank. Like somebody told me when I told them about that, debacle I dealt with in 2014, it could have got me thrown in the clink because people don't have a sense of humor. Boy, I'm never going to get over that. But um, I was told that um, it's possible that I had art that my application was already in the decline pile before I had the first conversation with them. Because the business address listed on at the time was a mailbox at a UPS store. Are there is that is, is something yeah, like that, that still is something like that still the case? And is yeah, it, yeah, yeah, we, we have to have, and the main reason is, is because we, as the lender, have to have a hard address, and we're going to look it up, and we have to have a hard, hard address so that we could, we could do a service of processor, it's called. Yeah. So when, when, when we have to go serve a judgment on somebody, we have to have a hard address. We're not allowed to tape it to a mailbox. So we always have to have a hard address. Okay, so... Let's break this down further. In your process, because I've been told by some that uh, banks just use this as an excuse to not care. Um, I don't have mail sent to where I live. Um, My business mail goes to a third-party place, and my personal mail goes to the same place, care of. And I use the analogy of, uh, let's say, a television star who has their fan mail sent to a third-party place, care of. Uh, so I, I treat myself as like the celebrity and the business handles my personal correspondence. That being said, um, I do have a physical residence. And if I gave you both, does that satisfy your hard address requirement? So, you know, this one is where you're actually going to send all the mail. This one is where you're going to come get me if I uh, try to duck you. Yes, yeah, so you ever notice you have two places you could always put your mailing address and they always say, is uh, is this address the same as your home? And if you say no, then it pops up another box and you got to put in your home address. That's uh-huh. why they do that. Yeah. Okay, yes. But your process so actually good. does allow that. Yes. Okay, that, okay, that's that's great. And you know, and I've also and I've also heard that um, you know, sometimes traditional banks uh, get all up in their fields if that second address is your home because they say, well, what? Well, you have a you have a UPS store address, which is great because it makes you look professional. But we have a list of all the UPS stores in the country, so we already know that that's a UPS mailbox. And the other one's your personal. Well, where's your business? But in this day and age, a lot of businesses run out of the home. I mean, you're to the point where you have manufacturing businesses, baking businesses running out of the home, and they have and they have properly inspected, licensed facilities at the residence. They can fulfill yeah. this according to all the laws. Now I agree with you. Now you're absolutely right. It's it's getting a lot better on that, especially with the with the banking. We have no problem with with home uh, with home addresses and home offices at all. Right, right. So as long, yeah. So if I were to apply with you, if one of our listeners were to apply with you, and they're in that situation, they just uh, they just pay attention to your application. They say this is where you're going to send the mail. This is where I live in case you have to come hunt me down. You won't have to, but just in case. Uh, 
So and that, you know what so we do really to good. find out to make sure that it's good? We send out a thank you card to everybody who uh, gets a, uh, a merchant cash advance from us. And if it gets returned, then we call them up. See which one bounces, see which one doesn't. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you what, yeah. We, we get we get a few for sure. Yeah, because I, I mean, because I have it to the point where any mail that sometimes somebody attempts to send to my to my home address will bounce. It's oh. like it, it's like it won't even come here. It'll get automatically rejected. Uh, uh, there's a little secret to that, but I've actually cracked the code because I don't want anything here. I don't want people who don't need to know where I live to know where I live. I mean, you as the lender. Yeah, you kind of need to know where I live in case you have to in case you have to come knocking on my door. You won't have to, but just in case. Uh, but uh, but the average person, no, and that and that even that even applies candidly to uh, to relatives who aren't likely to visit me in person, who aren't in Las Vegas. Uh, they can send it care of my business, and it'll get delivered to me per the auspices of the business. And I'll tell and I'll tell you one of the reasons I do that is I've been in Las Vegas for nine years, and I'm now on my fourth move. Wow! Guess what? I don't have to do. What? What's change? That? Other than the DMV and a couple other places, I don't have to do change of address with anybody. That's true. And, and and in Nevada, even the DMV bifurcates between the mailing address and the residence address. So I get my uh, my my vehicle registration card every year. I get all the reminders. Uh, when I get my license renewed, I get that mailed where it's supposed to go. Uh, my 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 that little piece of plastic I carry in my wallet displays the home address like it's supposed to because uh, if you're interacting with law enforcement, uh, they kind of need to know where you live. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so so the, the Nevada DMV actually gets that part right, and I just find it amazing that if a government agency, the DMV, for, for which there's every cliche in the book, manages to get that right, why traditional banks just refuse to? Because they're banks, and that's why I'm in business. Exactly. I, I, I set that I set that up so you can dr- throw that in there again. <laughs> well, All right. Thank thank you very much, and it's also been a pleasure uh, talking to you and. Uh, and your crowd and and uh, you know if I could help it anyway, please just let me know. Okay, we got just a few minutes and then I'm going to um and I'm going to extend the invitation you have for our listeners because I really think that folks should at least check this out and get informed on it whether or not they're ready to make the move today, but at least get it in your thought process for how you're going to grow your business in 2023 and beyond. And if you're listening to this in 2025 because it will probably be on the air forever, 2026 and beyond. Uh, so I. Uh, one thing that I'm wondering here is, you know, we've covered all kinds of alternative um, alternative investments. So there's the um, the lending of private capital that you do. Uh, there's the idea of using life insurance. Uh, there's the idea of uh, seeing if uh, if mom and dad or Aunt Molly want to uh, transfer the inheritance so that the government can't touch it through death tax. There, I mean, those just a few right there. Uh, what else is there? Is there anything else we that we should cover here before we wrap up? The the one I the the one I think uh, you could if it's a real business and you really believe in the business, there's so many angel investors out there. They're called angel investors. Yeah. And the main reason why they're called angel investors is because they invest between 
um, you know, five thousand and a hundred thousand. Yeah, and, and it used to, the, the word angel came from the Broadway shows back in the eighteen hundreds, and the way they used to finance Broadway shows was through very wealthy people, and the actors and actresses called them angels. So now there's angel investor networks and there's angel investor funds who all they do is look for great lending opportunities, but they will take equity. There's debt right. and there's equity. If it's debt, you pay it back. If it's equity, you lose a portion of your company. Well, okay, that that's great. So yeah, so if you don't pay it, then they become a part owner of your company and right. uh, or maybe they become the owner of the company and then it's theirs to come in and manage it to get their money back. Uh, I mean the federal I mean the federal government does the same thing. I mean there's a there's a joke here in Nevada that the uh, federal government sees a, a brothel and uh which, you know, I mean that's a largely cash business and uh and yeah, we're talking we're talking about we're talking about legal sex for money here. I mean, it's hard to not be profitable in that business. And the federal government uh, seized the brothel because you know, over tax issues, and they managed to run it into the ground. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I, Las Vegas. yeah, I mean, I mean that, that tells you something about the government. If they can't run a whorehouse. I mean, come on. <laughs> You're absolutely right. And especially in this day and age, where 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 sex for money is almost almost normalized at this point. Right. Uh, I mean, I mean the stigma behind it. I mean, I don't know your personal beliefs, and you know my personal beliefs are my personal beliefs. I'm just simply stating societal trends as uh, as demonstrated through surveys. Uh, it's becoming less stigmatized and more normalized. If you can't make money with that, then what the hell are you doing? Yeah. I just got to say it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I want to thank you for bringing up angel investors as well. And think about it. What, 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 you know, and just for our listeners, think about what makes working with an angel investor. Why would they want to be involved in it? They happen to be sitting on a lot of cash. They could buy CDs and get their 3%, or they could invest it in your business and get their 10%, knowing that if your business goes under or you fail to make the payments, well, they can come in and take over your business and, uh, Maybe they know more about running that business than you do, and they can make it successful. Or and they most, can, angel, yeah, or and most they, angel investors do. Yeah, they, they know a lot about business. And they have a big Rolodex. Exactly, exactly. Or worst case scenario, if you have physical plant, they can come in and sell. They can sell your equipment and your computers to recoup the recoup the money yeah. they lost. So yeah. there's many ways around it. So when you think of it, an angel angel investing is actually a form of a secured loan, and that's something that. Um, Home-based entrepreneurs run into a lot, particularly in this society where home ownership is down, apartment rental is way up. A lot of entrepreneurs, because they value flexibility and not having to do maintenance on their place, they rent. So they don't even have they don't even have a house to mortgage. So what do you so what do you secure the loan against? With an angel investor, it's secured against the business. So there's a yeah. tangible asset there. Yes, That's I mean another I, way I mean, of raising money. I mean, I, I mean, I had my laptop lifestyle business uh, evaluated. And one of the estimates I got was $30,000. And where does that come from? Because it already has fully built websites. It has recorded products available for sale. It has existing clients, it has existing vendor relationships and all my computers. Wow. They yeah. determined they determined I was worth about $30,000. That uh, theoretically somebody could come in, change my name on my websites and put their name on it instead and make a go at it. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, and I didn't. I didn't think that was possible, but I'm being told that that's a real thing. So, 
uh, tangibility is not necessarily mortgaging your house. Just wanted to make sure our listeners heard that as well and to get your yeah. thoughts on that. No, uh, you're right. You don't have to mortgage your house and you can use uh, the equity that you have in your um, uh, stocks that you own in your company, uh, selling selling a portion of it. But make sure that you definitely read the fine print because these angel investors have been around for a long time. Exact, exact, exactly. Um, yeah, one of my earliest clients, uh, when he started his venture, he had an angel investor. And I remember uh, working with him and, uh, and uh, yeah, I was very involved in the business for a couple of years. And, you know, he'd show me all his cash flow projections, his marketing plans, his launches, his expected revenues. I mean, he even, he even showed me his tax planning documents. And wow. the overriding goal behind all of it was pay off the angel investor as fast as possible. So I own this thing. Yeah, that's great. Absolutely which was which, which was smart on his part. So we are now at the top of the hour here, and I want to um, extend an invitation on your behalf. Uh, Douglas Douglas's website is www.familybusinessfund.com. That's www.familybusinessfund.com. So it shares everything that you need to know about the solutions that Douglas has shared with us today. Um, you can see some of their press and media. So you can see uh, where they've been written up in the news, uh, some of the educational materials they put out there. So you can dive deeper if you wish to. Uh, Doug even has a, a series of videos. It's the Alternative Investing 101 video series where he takes you through this step-by-step uh, -step in, in a more in even more streamlined direct way than we had the opportunity to cover on this call. So go to that website, www.familybusinessfund.com. And if you choose to work with Douglas, uh, mention my name, mention you heard on the Business Creators Radio Show. I'm not getting remunerated for this. It's just uh, me recommending a friend. But I trust you can see that Douglas Muir is somebody who knows his stuff. And with that, Douglas, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.